you ever run into somebody who you haven't seen in a long uh, time who's about your age, maybe you went to high school with them or something like that, you grew up uh, together, haven't seen each other for decades, and then you run into them and, re and, they, and they look like super old, and then you realize, wait a minute, I also look super old? I just haven't noticed because it goes by uh, day, you know, very, very slowly. <laughs> I don't notice my own change, and then, and then you see them and realize, wait a minute, I've got, I've come a long way from being uh, um, younger, <laughs> and, and now, now stuck in uh, middle age with apparently zero perspective. I just had, just had a moment like that uh, a couple days ago. Made me, made me think about it. Anyway, thank you for tuning into the Bullet Pew podcast for Protestia.com. This is your host, David Morrill, and you are riding with me across Denver on a uh, lovely and sunny Monday. Uh, this is Monday, the 22nd of January, 2024, as we're recording this. And normally I don't do a Bully Pew podcast on a Monday, but an interesting topic came up that I wanted to talk about, uh, which was uh, communion and the the roles of men and women in, I guess, maybe just the, the gathered assembly generally or in, you know, in general church service our illustrious staff writer at protestia put up a, a, a tweet asking about the whether it was appropriate for women to serve communion in the service pass the plate for churches that are still passing plates um and and whatnot and and it got me thinking that you know we haven't really talked about this too much in terms of uh you know yeah you know, my take on it or what i think that is is not just the the um, you know solid black and white biblical teaching on this, but even just a just a general discussion of why um, churches do what they do, or perhaps I would argue how they should look at um, the elements, the components of their gathered worship service. So I wanted to talk about that before we get to it. A little bit of housekeeping. This pro this uh, podcast, of course, brought to you by our wonderful patron supporters who over at patreon.com forward slash protestia support this program and all other protestia content. Um, starting at $5.95 a month, there are other tiers of support as well, but $5.95 a month will get you started, get you full access to Protestia Tonight, which I promise you is coming back very soon. Uh, studio repairs are and, and remodeling is nearly complete. Um, but it gets you ad-free browsing on the website if you log in with your Patreon account. Uh, there are other tiers of support as well. You can also subscribe to the Insurgency News Blast at Protestia.com, which for free gets you three days a week of banned news links, as we call them. They're not actually banned, but they're things that the mainstream media just doesn't want you to see. And we want you to see them, and we want you to be informed as we also like to keep ourselves informed. That's a good way to do it. It's a convenient way to do it. Uh, you can also subscribe to the Insurgency Insurgency. If you want to, that'll get you six days a week instead of the three. So you'll get the insurgency email blast in your email Monday through Saturday, um, taking off for the Lord's Day. Um, but little secret, some of you already know this, but if you subscribe on Patreon and you want six days a week of insurgency, send us a message on Patreon and we'll get you added to the six day a week insurgency uh, for free. Another benefit of supporting us on, on Patreon. Uh, anyway, to the topic. So this survey that um, that our wonderful uh, staff writer put up on Twitter uh, 
produced some confusing results, I guess. And so I just, I, I wanted to discuss it a little bit. I think that there is some, some Christian liberty, obviously, with regard to how a church decides to comport itself during a worship service, what it decides to do, the order of things. Um, there, there, there's a lot of uh, leeway there, but there are also some biblical indications of what we should expect a a corporate worship service, a gathering of Christians uh, to be and represent. Um, that's that's it's something that. Uh, you know, we have some leeway, but but then there are things that are like, hey, these these things are supposed to be part of the service. These are the things that we that we gather to do, because the the, the proper biblical understanding of worship is that um, all that we do, um, all, all the the way that we live our lives um, all the time, is an expression of worship. When we do things obediently, uh, when we do things that are in accordance with. God's truth, when we do things that glorify Him and and honor Him in all the areas of our lives, this is Christian worship. Christian worship is a a um, a state of being to an extent. It's it's something that's consistent for believers. It's not just something that we do on Sunday morning with one another. That's part of it, obviously. And there's there's there that's a special component of our worship. It's a special opportunity to worship together with the body of Christ. Um, and there are certain things, of course, worship-wise that we that we do together as uh, gathered churches that we can't really do on our own. Uh, so that that's important to to keep in mind. But the the point that I I guess I want to stress here is that everything you know every decision we make in our lives as believers to do to do something one way versus another, to say something one way versus another, to uh, you know, make a decision uh, for what we're going to do or or say in uh, to the exclusion of other things that we might do or say is an expression of worship. And yes, there is, you know, like I said, a, um, an element of Christian liberty where you might say, "Hey, I, I have, you know, something I need. I'm going to choose what I'm going to eat for dinner or something like that." Um, there, there is an element of neither one of you know. Even though, even though Scripture would say, you know, all things you do, including eating and drinking, do to the glory of God, um, you know, deciding to eat a cheeseburger instead of pizza or a salad or whatever, um, that doesn't necessarily have a a moral component to it. It doesn't necessarily have a, a declaratory component to it. Where, hey, you know, we I'm going to choose this meal over that meal because this this somehow says something about. Uh, what I believe in some way, but a lot of decisions that we that we make in life actually do have have that kind of a component, and I think that the way that we do gathered worship as believers, um, above and beyond, you know, in terms of our preferences, in terms of the things that we would say, there there isn't a, a direct Bible verse to say yes or no to this, and yet there's still an opportunity. There's still an opportunity to declare something, to signal something, to to. Um, you know, further conform the the worship practices we engage in to what we believe Scripture teaches, to what we believe about God and about what we're doing here together. So we know that Scripture talks about um, the component, you know, the, the preaching and teaching components of gathered worship, the the purpose of of corporate learning, uh, the purposes of fellowship. 
Uh, we gather, you know, our fellowship with one another as Christian brethren is an expression of worship. Uh, we sing um, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs when we gather for worship with one another. And of course, we observe uh, the ordinances of the Lord's Supper, communion, and of course the, the ordinance of baptism when a believer um, has made that first um, decision of obedience to be baptized. Um, uh, you know, you guys know I'm I, in a, uh, a member of a Southern Baptist church and um, for, for all of the things that, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm the first to, to rip on the SBC when necessary. Hopefully, God willing, I'm also the first to defend the SBC if it's being unfairly targeted, like sometimes it is, from without or within. Um, but in, in terms of being a Baptist, a member of a Baptist church, uh, it's important to me why we do uh, the worship service the way that we do. Uh, the gathered worship service is a, a special time. It's, it's time that should not be wasted. It's time that should not be um, taken lightly. It's precious time. The time that we actually get together to gather together as saints on the Lord's Day to worship Him. And with that in mind, everything that we do in that service, every decision we make, every, every element to the service should have a distinctly biblical purpose, obviously, but, but even beyond that, should we should endeavor to make it the best use of our time and God's time that we possibly can. Take every opportunity that we can to teach something, to proclaim something, um, to, to conform what we're doing in word, word and deed to uh, what we believe to be true and therefore what we want to proclaim uh, in worship. And that's that's for the sake of the brethren, those who are those who are not brethren but are gathered with us. That's for the sake of the you know the watching world, as SPC platformers might might like to remind us of. The world is watching. Okay, let's let's make sure that when the world is watching, they see us um, worshiping God in the the highest and most consistent and most conformed way that we can. Um, there are there are generally two schools of thought when it comes to church worship, and the approach to church worship, choosing what you're going to do and what you're not going to do in a worship service, or or you know every time you choose something in a worship service, you are by default not choosing everything else that's a possibility. But there there are generally two schools of thought uh, with regard to how you do this. One is referred to as the the normative principle of worship. The other is referred to as the regulative principle of worship, and without digging too deeply into it, generally speaking, the normative principle of worship starts with the assumption that anything and everything that you would do is allowable. Um, and only if you find a, a scriptural verse or a tenet or, or something that would say the specific thing you want to do is directly prohibited, then, then you're allowed to do it and you, and you can do it. It's, um, it's, it's basically an, a more open-ended approach to uh, the the gathered worship service, so so I mean you might say hey we want to do like interpretive dance in our worship service, and then you would go to the you'd go to scripture and say well scripture doesn't forbid interpretive dance um, necessarily, so we're, we we might not choose to do it, but we're allowed to do it. The regulative principle of worship, by contrast, um, is is the approach that we go to scripture, start with scripture. And we look into Scripture and say, what, what can we see from Scripture 
um, is specifically prescribed for the gathered worship service. And then we implement those things. And anything that's not specifically prescribed um, in Scripture, we don't do. Or, or um, and, and that's not to say something like, well, you're going to make an announcement you know, before the worship service because that would, that would fall into the category of being orderly in your worship service. But interpretive dance would be out because we don't see that demonstrated in the New Testament church. The same way that we see preaching, teaching, exhortation, um, um, you know, discipling one another, fellowship, uh, musical worship. Uh, you know these, uh, and and of course the observance of the ordinances. We see those things in specifically prescribed in Scripture. So that's that's where we uh, that's where we go to determine the proper components of our gathered worship service. Those are so regulative versus normative are the the two general schools of thought with regard to ordering a a worship service. Uh, I, I would also argue that. Uh, those two schools of thought um, can be applied to a, a an individual Christian's worship practices as well. What they decide to do uh, worshipfully for the Lord in their everyday life. Um, you know, not everything. We, I mean, we know this all the way back from Genesis that not everything that we want to call worship and offer to God as worship, um, he 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 will accept. You know, the, the scriptures don't say exactly what it was, what, what it was about Cain's offering to God that was unacceptable. Um, but we do know that, that, God, that God didn't accept it and Cain knew that it was unacceptable. He brought worship that he knew was un, unacceptable to God. And likewise, we, we can go to scripture to say um, that to, to basically find the, find the boundaries, find the... Um, the, the the doctrinal um, um, guidelines for what would what should be considered acceptable worship by God and what would not be not everything that we do uh, even things even things I would argue we do that, that might fall within the realm of liberty um, they might not pass the test once we go to scripture and say hey does, is this actually something that I, I can see um, uh, an example for, or I can see precedence for in the word of God. And so with, with that as a, a general framework, and, and I'm very much, you know, those of you that, that know me or have listened to this uh, podcast or other content uh, from us for a while, I'm very much in the camp of being uh, much more regulative than normative as far as I want to go to scripture first. So I don't want to start with anything and everything I might want to do and then uh, start disqualifying things by Scripture. I'd rather, I, I want to go to Scripture first and, and bring out the examples specifically set forth in Scripture as the starting framework for any worship service. Um, and and that, that would certainly place me in the camp of being more regulative. It also is going to make me seem a lot more picky about what I think is um, the way that we should do a worship service because, I mean, churches... And especially in my lifetime, as um, innovation and church growth methodology, and um, you know, I mean, how many churches are out there now saying, um, you know, we're not like every other church? And of course, they're all like saying the same thing, and they're all they all look the same way, dress the same way, have the same graphics, and the same same general way about of, of doing it. And then and then they're all they're all. Um, similarly, knocking down the straw man of old-fashioned church and relig- religiosity. We're not. This this isn't about religion. It's about relationship. I'm like, okay, but you're, I don't think you're properly defining religion if you say something like that. Um, religion isn't isn't a bad uh, thing. 
as long as it's true religion, correct religion, it's not a bad thing. And yet, and yet all the, all, all these churches out here, you know, marketing slogans and things saying, this isn't like your grandpa's church. You know, we do church a little differently. No, no, you all do it the same now. <laughs> but in, in that, in that era, in that era of innovation, um, normative is the name of the game. In fact, I would, I would argue it's probably hyper normative where it's like, we're going to do anything and everything we feel like doing and dare any, dare somebody to challenge us dare somebody to bring scripture that says you can't do blah 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 um that i mean i think that we can we can positively demonstrate from scripture that that can get you in a lot of trouble uh rather the word of god is available to us given to us and it contains um all of the all of the information that we need to actually craft a god honoring um uh you know sort of high uh, high standard worship service, we could say it that way. <laughs> you know, I, I think so. I'm much more in that camp. But so when when we look at something like to get back to the question that was on uh, Twitter here, or just the general discussion of this, like what can men and women do in a gathered worship service? I think there is some room to understand that there may be things that uh, we may decide to do or not do in a worship service that we would say, like objectively, aren't necessarily a sin issue. But they may be a, 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 a lost opportunity issue or a potential for confusion kind of issue. And this, I mean, th- this general principle um, is seen as we see believers um, exhorted not to place stumbling blocks in front of other believers by exercising their freedom. So, so as, as, um, as Paul says, you know, to not... not um, use your freedom, your liberty, your understanding, your, 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 uh, greater understanding of your freedom in Christ, um, to not use that as a stumbling is something that would place a stumbling block in the way of other believers. There's a similar principle at play here. So I, the, the example I always use with this principle is I know, um, as a, and believe as a, a Christian and as a, as a, as a student of God's word, that there is no prohibition uh, from drinking alcohol in Scripture. There is a prohibition from being drunk, from from losing control of your faculties because you are not being responsible with your consumption. But for instance, like like my grandma um, thinks that you know thinks that it's a sin to drink anything ever. You know, any sip of an alcoholic beverage is a sin in her mind. I know from Scripture that that isn't true. And yet, I would not exercise my liberty to have a drink when I was out at dinner with her or something because it would cause her to stumble. That would cause um, needless confusion, needless um, consternation. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't pick a fight, in other words, by doing That's what I would basically be doing if I said, well, Grandma, you're wrong about Scripture. I'm going to have a beer. Um, that that's exercising my liberty uh, to cause another, you know, in on this point at least, weaker believer to stumble, and so I don't do that. Um, the the principle in the gathered worship service is more um, about, you know, taking every opportunity that we can, doing everything that we can do, um, and working towards a worship service where everything we do uh, says something. Um, specifically about God to the exclusion of other things. So to, to look at 
um, communion, and that that was really kind of the the, the bigger question: Can women um, uh, serve communion to the congregation? Um, can they pass the offering plate? Things like that, like you know, like walk. I'm assuming walk up and down the aisles with the plate, not just pass it down the row, which everybody does, of course. Um, and I, I think those two things are a little bit different, and I'll tell you why. Um, passing the passing the plate around, like like our church has boxes now, and of course online. Um, so so they have you know all of, all of the different ways that you could potentially make sure that your giving reaches the right place. Uh, they facilitate that. We don't pass a plate anymore. We can shelve that, you know, discussion for the time being. That's not really what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, they they uh, they don't pass a plate anymore. They have boxes, so when you walk in, you can put, um, you know, if you want to, if you're giving by check or something like that, or cash or something, you can put it in the box as you walk in. But they don't pass the plate around uh, any longer for a variety of reasons, I'm sure. But I I don't think that 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 quite is is I'm not a stickler about that, you know, say women passing the plate as much as I, although I would say that like, there's no need for it. Men can pass the plate. Um, your deacons can pass the plate, but in terms of communion, there's something that's said, uh, by, I would argue by the way that we do communion. So if you go to a, you know, um, a Romanist, you know, church, if we can put that in scare quotes, a Catholic church, or you go to like a mainline denomination like Lutheranism or something like that, it's pretty common that the members of the, first of all, it's, it's, you know, the, the members of the congregation sometimes, and there's a variety of ways to do this, of course, but I've, I've, I've been in church services where, uh, taking, taking communion, observing the, the, the Lord's supper, the members of the congregation get up and they walk to the front. They walk to the front of the sanctuary up to the, you know, the, the, the pulpit or the, you know, um, the, the, uh, basically up, up to the front where the, the, the minister is. And sometimes they, they, uh, get down on their knees and he puts it right in their mouth or he hands it to them or, uh, you know, some, some variety of this. And Baptists a long time ago decided, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're going to change a few things about this because we don't like what that symbolizes. We don't like the, the the symbolism at play here that basically says, yes, I mean, salvation, uh, uh, you know, rather than being a free gift of God, is something that you still have to go get. There's still a work involved in order for you to, to partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We didn't like that symbolism. Um, we also didn't like the symbolism of saying when, when you walk up to the front, um, and you, you, you either kneel or the, the minister is above you and hands it down to you. Um, we didn't like that. We felt like that symbolized a, a magisterium, a mediator between us and God rather than Christ. We didn't like that. You know, the, the, the pastor, the minister or whatever, being up higher than the rest of the congregation for any other purpose other than being seen while he's preaching. We didn't like that. So like at, at, at Baptist churches that I've been a member of over the years, uh, we very deliberately place the table where the elements uh, are for uh, communion on the same level as the rest of the congregation. That's symbolic. That's purposeful. Then we have, we have deacons, um, you know, men who are ordained for service in the church, um, passing out the elements, uh, the, the bread and the wine elements to, 
the congregation to symbolize that um, salvation is a free gift given to us by work of Christ and not by not by our own work. We don't have to go get it. In other words, it's given to us through no work of our own. Um, we also, uh, after you know, there's some churches that, that as they pass the elements. Um, they pass the cup and they pass the, the, the loaf of bread and whatnot. Um, people take them as people t- partake of the bread and the, and the cup as it gets to them. So like, you know, you hand me the, the plate and the, you hand me the uh, bread and the wine and I take it and I pass it to the next person and they take it and pass it to the next person. Um, we don't do that. And a lot of Baptist churches don't do that either. Um, they wait till everybody has, uh, the elements together, and then they all take it together. And this is a, this is symbolic of the priesthood of all believers. It's symbolic of the equality of believers before the cross. In other words, there's no order of of importance in any way where it's like, well, you got the cup and you got the uh, the, um, the cup and the bread first, and you know, um, we don't have the the pastors or something like that take it at a different time. Everybody partakes at the same time. And there's a reason for that. And so, uh, again, I, I think that those kind of things fall into the realm of Christian liberty. I wouldn't say a church is sinning if they have uh, women passing out the, the elements or something like that. Um, I think it's a lost opportunity because if the, sim- if, if the symbol is the, the body and blood of Jesus Christ uh, being given to you, being brought to you in a way... It, through no work of your own, we have men do that work because in the the, the realm of worship symbolism um, and re- with respect to God's created order and his, his design for men and women, uh, men are the symbol of Christ in the relationship. You remember John MacArthur taking a lot of heat a while ago, you know, and off and on people resurrect this, where he says, he, he said something like, you know, men are a type of savior, and instead of uh, the proper interpretation of that, of that, uh, his quote, if people heard it as, oh, he's a type of savior, like he's a kind of savior. He's doing some sort of salvific work for his wife or something like that. That's not what it means when you say that, that, that somebody is a type. Uh, to be a type of something is to be a foreshadowing, a symbol, um, something that really is, it has a meaning speaking to something else. So when John MacArthur says that men are a type of savior for their wives, he's saying that they are that there is a an element of their relationship that is symbolic of Christ, and the Bible, Bible very clearly teaches that 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 the the male female relationship within marriage, man and woman, uh, is symbolic of Christ and the church. It 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 demonstrates a you know there's something that we can learn about Christ and the church by. Um, a proper marriage. So wives submit to their husbands just at, just as to Christ. In other words, wives submit to their husbands like, like the church submits to Christ. And husbands love their wives self-sacrificially just as Christ did for the church. Um, and so if we, if we say that the, the passing, the delivering of the elements, the serving of the elements to a congregation who does not need to do any work to get it, uh, is purposeful and symbolic. It stands to reason, I would argue, that we should have men who are doing the, you know, the symbolic role that would be the Christ-like role in this in this part of the worship service. So, 
as as Jesus sacrificed himself, gave his his body and his blood for us um, through no work of our own, we should use um, the the men, the deacons of the church, I would argue, but it could be any any men and still sort of fulfill this symbolic part. Um, I think it's I think it's ideal and I think it says something to have the men do that instead of women. It's a missed opportunity at the very least if you have your women do it. Um, the passing of the plate, I I mean I don't see the same the same symbolic uh, need there. And yet it's like, well we have or I mean your church if, if you're following the biblical prescription for a church, you should have ordained men as deacons. I was talking to a, a good friend of mine a long time ago, and, and she was like, "Yeah, our church doesn't even have deacons." Like, well, but the Bible prescribes that. So, for by what, by um, what, what explanation do you have for not simply following the the, the Bible's framework for the assembly, for the gathered church, uh, the body of Christ? Um, yeah, but if your church is following that framework, if you have deacons, and these are these are men who have. Uh, been determined to fit the character requirements that I, I think honestly all men all Christian men should meet the requirements for being a deacon you should be able to now whether whether we have ordained you to do it in in a given time period or whatever is a different thing you don't necessarily have to ordain every man as a deacon in the church but I would argue that every every believing man faithful believer who's in in your congregation should be able to be ordained as a deacon at any time. Um, there, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't pass, be passing the plate as well. I mean, it's, it's a service office. You know, it's like we're in the gathered worship service. Let's, you know, do some service. <laughs> you know. um, but the the greater point and, and the point that really, you know, that, that, that guides me you know, to, to my position on this. And again, I'm not saying that your church is sinning if you have women, uh, you know, pass the communion elements. But I do think it's a lost opportunity. It's a missed opportunity. Every everything we do in the gathered worship service should be saying something, you know, um, to the exclusion of other things, if if possible, and it's usually possible. Um, there's there's symbolism between you know behind why churches put steeples on the building. You know, the steeple is 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 a symbol for the whole town to see if this is where we gather to worship Christ. It's happening right here. You know, back in the day, anywhere in the town, you look. Oh, it's in the center of the town. There's the there's the steeple. You can see it from anywhere, like a like a compass. Come here to worship Christ. Um, you know, the 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 reason that we have um, uh, in 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 uh, like you know Baptist and Reformed kind of churches, uh, less less decoration. Uh, and things we're, we're we're trying to say something, and again, I, th- I think this falls within the realm of Christian liberty. I'm not saying that a church that is more ornate or they have stained glass, um, you know, with with you know pictures of of you know Bible figures on it, you know, Jesus, you know, or the Virgin Mary and the baby and 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 baby Jesus on in the stained glass. I'm not saying that's not a sin. I know they're they're like hardcore uh, reform guys, like that's a second commandment violation. That's that's idolatry. You're not to put up any graven image. With totally, totally out of context of why you're not supposed to put up a graven image, because you know people were putting up graven images and then worshiping them like they were real, you know, bowing before the graven image, bowing before the idol, the literal physical idol. Like a picture of Jesus is not a second commandment violation, even though we don't know exactly what it looks like, unless you, you know, like hang that in your house and you decide that you're going to bow before it every morning and and pray to the picture. 
or you think that there's something significant spiritually about that picture versus all of the other uh, infinite places that God exists. Um, but I digress. That <laughs> There are things that fall within the realm. I'll, I'll conclude it this way, and then I'll let you go. I appreciate you hanging out for this long on the Bullet Pew Podcast, protestia.com, of course, for all your latest in Christian polemics and discernment news. Um, I'll leave you with this. There are opportunity costs to why to what we do in gathered worship services when we choose to do something or we choose to bring in um you know a song extra biblical material a commentary of you know quotes in a sermon uh we choose to order the service the way that we do we choose to even you know dress the way that we do act the way that we do uh there are opportunity costs and so, as Christian worshipers, we should be endeavoring to use our Christian liberty. Again, on things that are, I mean, there are things that are directly sin issues here. That's a, that, I would argue that's a different category. But within the realm of things that are not necessarily sin versus not sin, we should still be endeavoring to um, uh, use every one of those opportunities to, to uh, craft our worship as high as possible, as accurate as possible, not missing any opportunities to say things um, that are true, declare things that are true and noble and just and righteous about our God in everything that we, that we do in that worship service. Um, and, and, and continually reform, this, reform what we do um, in, in, you know, with that goal in mind. I think that's, that's, there is a process of sanctification even within the gathered worship service. Anyway, thank you so much for uh, listening and um, to this discussion, this sort of off-the-cuff discussion about this. Please reach out if you have questions, of course. Um, again, stay tuned to Protestia for all of your latest in Christian polemics and discernment news. Have a good rest of your Monday and a good week. Uh, I'll talk to you again real soon. As always, Semper Reformando.